Come on, guys. Isn't that awesome? Come on. Bless him. The very first line in that, why do we give? To transform lives. Right? It's hard to, it's hard to transform lives when you yourself don't feel transformed. I, I want to tell you today with all of my heart, stop living by how you feel and live by what the Word says. Right? That's faith. Amen? Can we just take a moment? Psalm 37 says, let, let a, let a, or, I'm sorry, Proverbs 27 says, let another man praise you. The worship team does an awesome job. Can we just give them some... And I encourage you guys, once again, part of making a difference, part of being contagious, part of being an inspiration to other people around you, is you learning how to come to the end of yourself and become completely transparent and vulnerable before the Father. Your expression of worship causes other people to realize there's something else, there's something deeper, there's something more in God that I want, and it helps them break out of their comfort zone. So you guys just keep that up. Great worship today. Who cares about the rain, right? We're here. Let's bless God one more time. Well, listen, guys, we're going to continue talking about contagious generosity, and we want to first get a a decent definition of what generous actually means. We're not always talking about giving and possessions. We're talking about giving of our lives, laying down our whole lives so that we can be of service for the kingdom of God to the earth. We we, we say this many times uh, that, that we're serving God, but in reality, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And we have to take on that same mindset. We have to take on the mindset that we're actually, we're serving with God in his agenda and his purpose, but we're serving mankind. We're serving the earth. God is all creation. He is the creator. Jesus is Lord and Savior. And yet he laid down his life in order to bring something to serve the earth and to bring reconciliation to the Father. So in essence, he is serving. He's God, and yet he is serving you. He's serving your best need. He wants you. But what you have is not something that he has to have. He created you out of love and desire. He created you for relationship. He did that, and Jesus reconciled us by giving of himself in a very generous, generous way. It means showing a readiness to give more of something that is strictly necessary or expected. Meaning stepping up the bar. Don't just go by the minimum. Let there be a mind of excellence in you, a mind of, of sacrifice in you, a mind of, of give myself away for the purpose of the kingdom of God and for the purpose of people to witness the kingdom of God. I think of those who have been in the, uh, the food industry, waitresses, who's ever served as a waiter or waitress in here. So maybe you guys probably help me out with this. If we took a poll and I've heard this before, but I'm not a waiter or waitress. I've never witnessed it, but you could probably say that, that, that more often than not, traditionally the Sunday morning crowd probably tips worse than the rest. And yet we're supposed to be demonstrating faith. And if you did demonstrate that faith, it would transform somebody's life. Who among you have been in the food industry and you've had a bad day before? And maybe it messed up how you delivered food. Maybe you weren't as kind and hospitable and maybe you forgot something because you were distracted and all that pressure. Well, what if you as the body of Christ could relieve that pressure because someone who was a customer before you probably put that waiter waiter or waitress in a bad mood because we can be difficult at the table (laughs) when we're hangry, right? And what if you were the one that transformed that person's life, that your love for her or him became contagious and they served next, the next table even better? You become that point of transformation. Amen? So this is what it looks like. Jesus said, I mean, last, yeah, Jesus, Jesus and Pastor Mike. (laughs) 
said to trust Jesus with what seems insurmountable, impossible, too great to overcome. These hurdles in our lives, these things that we go through that seem like we've had baggage or we've had identity issues, we've, we've painted a picture of ourselves or seen ourselves a certain way, or maybe we just haven't seen or witnessed God in the way that we expected to. And it creates these hurdles. And I'm here to tell you today that you have to put yourself in a position where you begin to trust the Word of God over your own experiences. You have to trust the Word of God over how you feel. Because otherwise, you just become a product of your environment, and that environment may not be godly. You're not supposed to be a product of your environment. You're supposed to produce your environment. You're supposed to be the reason that environment changes. Why do we give? To transform. So you can't be a product of your environment if you've been called to be an ambassador of Christ that changes, transforms the environment. So think about those things in your life. Take some inventory for just a moment and after this message. Take the inventory and say, what things seem too big for me? What seems like it's a, it's a, a hurdle in me that I can't seem to let go of? You know, there's a paradox in faith uh, that the harder we hold on to stuff is the evidence that we don't trust him. The things you're in fear of, Pastor Mike said it several weeks back, when you trust him, that's the evidence of what you don't, I mean, when you're in fear, that's the evidence of what you don't trust God with. Release those things to him. Trade it in. It's a, it's a new car for a clunker, I promise you. And the only regret you'll have is I didn't do it sooner. Amen? So take some inventory. Trust Jesus with what seems impossible, too great for you yourself to overcome. When God calls you, this would be a motivation to you. When God calls you, he's asking you, he's inviting you to take part in his vision, his purpose, his will, and his very heart's desire for the lost to be brought to him. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And he was saying that God came through Jesus, was making an appeal for reconciliation. Who knows what reconciled means? It means to be brought into balance, bring brought into oneness, righteousness. The word righteousness means to be in right standing with God. You weren't just in sin. The Bible says you were sin because there's two principles of sin that we can witness in the Bible. There's the conduct of sin, but then there's the actual separation from God. But you've been reconciled to him. You've been brought into oneness with him. And now, therefore, it is as God, this is what Paul's saying there, it's as God is making his appeal through us, the apostles, believers, disciples of Christ. He's making his appeal through you and all the world to be reconciled and brought back home. I mean, when you read stuff like that, that should automatically spark something to say, well, if he entrusted that to me, there's no way I can really mess it up unless I just don't act. Because whatever he began into me, he'll bring into fruition. He'll actually produce in me what's necessary to accomplish it. But it requires you laying down yourself and not being relying upon your own abilities. So Jesus taught selfless generosity in this way. We know that there's no greater commandment than the love, right? We know that. But this is what he taught would demonstrate that. People become transformed by love. He said, this is my commandment, that you love each other, you love one another in the same way that I loved you. Well, ask that question, how did Jesus love us? Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, uh, Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, take some inventory. How does Christ love the church? How do you transform your home? The responsibility is on you, but the pressure's not on you. You're yoked with Jesus and he can get it accomplished. You want to transform America? Transform your life. You want to transform America? Transform your 
relationship with your wife. You want to transform America? Transform your home by transforming your relationship and getting closer to the Father. It doesn't happen because everybody got inspired by a great gathering. It happens when you start living it out day by day in genuine, sincere, intimate relationship with Jesus. That you love as he loved. There is no greater love than this than to lay down your life for one's friends. And any of us could probably at any given time have a chivalrous, a chivalrous moment and take a bullet. Somebody come in here today, God forbid, we come in here today and want to do some damage. I guarantee you there's going to be some guys in the back, some good old boys that's going to handle business before they get their way. I would take a bullet. I would rush into a fire and rescue you if you were in a burning building. But can I lay down my life for you day after day after day? And do another thing that 2 Corinthians 5 says, don't regard you according to your mistakes, your flesh, how you present yourself on the outside, but instead see you according to the Spirit and lay down my life in order to serve that thing, not who you've presented yourself. Because we make a lot of mistakes in how we treat each other. Going back to the, the waiter and waitress, we typically won't tip the waiter and waitress if they've given us bad service. But you don't know that perhaps they had a party come in before that that wasn't in good spirits and gave them a hard time and put them in an oppressive state, at least for that period of, of the day. And how you, by going back in love, can overdo and undo all of that stuff. So my wife and I set a, a principle in our own life. If we can't go out to eat and tip at least 20 25%, sometimes 50% of our check, sometimes even doubling it, just, just discerning. It's happened to me before. I'd be in a, in a restaurant, and the and Holy Spirit just kind of gives you a notion. Trust those notions, guys. Holy Spirit would give you a notion. This woman is a single mother, and she needs this money. And I would bless her with the same amount of my check. Well, I've got a family of six. There's no way we can go out to eat at Chick-fil-A with less than $60. Lord's chicken's expensive. No joke. It's as expensive as going to a restaurant. Keep eating the Lord's chicken. It's worth it. They've got excellent service. <laughs> Such great service that I wish we could tip them. I don't know if that's legal. <laughs> I don't know if they allow it. But what a, what a, what, you don't tip good, you don't just reward good service. What if you transform bad service by tipping a big when they need it? Let that be your demonstration of life. That's contagious to people. Jesus demonstrates selfless generosity. Paul was talking about this to the church of Philippi. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is already in yours, in, in you, in Christ Jesus. Because Galatians 5.20 says, says, I'm sorry, Galatians 2.20 says, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So he's saying, Christ has already given you this mind. You just have to operate in it. Who thought? Who, I'm sorry, who though he was in the form of God, did not account e equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He demonstrates this selflessness. He demonstrates this in such a way and then models it in the disciples' lives, commands, instructs, teaches them to model this in their lives, and he actually sends them out with this mentality. He said, go and announce to them, go and preach the kingdom of God, and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near, or in some translations, is here. 
He also said later on that it's within you. You're not going to look for the kingdom of God off over there or somewhere. You're not going to see it coming. It's within you. So if you're waiting on something to happen to you, then stop. Be the thing that happens. You're not waiting on a move of God. You are a move of God. You're, you're, God is wanting to work and live and abide through you and in you for the sake of drawing people to himself. That's what makes you an ambassador. What's an ambassador do? They go to another country, to another land, and they represent the government. Well, the government's on Jesus' shoulders. All authority's been given to, you, given to him. And he said, I will be with you and we will be in you in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's in you. You are the manifestation of the kingdom of God as you walk in these things. And when people see that reality, it draws them to the Father. The Bible said it's the tender love and kindness of God that draws man to repentance. And you are that demonstration. There's no way you can operate and function in this kind of love without people, without it being contagious and inspiring and drawing people and melting their heart. And that's what you have living in you. So he tells them to go and heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. Freely you have been given, freely pour it out. What's he saying to them? Get focused on the kingdom. Go do kingdom work. Go get out there and preach the gospel. Go make sure you're available for the people's needs. Set the oppressed free. And don't even worry about yourself. You've been given to it freely. Give it away freely. This is where generosity comes in. He says to the other 70, because that was to the 12 apostles, but here he says to the other 70 who are following after him, he said, now go and remember that I am sending you out among, as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. Leave your Nikes at home. Leave your extra Nikes at home. He's telling them, go out and get busy, and I will take care of you. This is where generosity comes in because it's going above and beyond. Normally we think of generosity as, well, I just got to give more. It's not about that. It's about, it's about doing the extraordinary. It's about pushing the limits. It's about trusting God in areas that you've never trusted God by giving yourself the things that God wants to use you in. Letting God manifest himself through you because you're willing to lay down self-preservations and become a vessel for him. The only regret you will have, as I said, is you didn't do it sooner. So he's telling them to go, don't worry about things. I'll take care of it for you. You just go get busy about the kingdom. Don't worry about your own needs. Don't worry about your own provisions. Don't worry about where you are. Don't worry about what circumstances you're in. The paradox of the kingdom is when you get focused and busy about the kingdom of God with the gospel, you forget all about those things and those things just melt off of you. That is true, guys. But you don't know it until you step into it. And I want to be contagious this morning. I want to inspire you this morning that if there's anything holding you back, look, look at those insurmountable things. Branch out from that. Go get past it. Stop feeling disqualified. Jesus made you righteous. It actually says that back in 2 Corinthians that we read, 2 Corinthians 5, that you have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Not that you attained or acquired righteousness. It wasn't by your works. He made, you righteous, right, he made you the righteousness of God in Christ because it's not by your works. Righteousness means you're in right standing with him. There's no separation. So why worry about your own needs? 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Word all means all, and no matter which language or whether you Hebrew it out or Greek it out, it doesn't matter. All means all. It means everything. All that you need will be added to you. In this passage in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is actually saying, don't be anxious. Don't be worried about things. Don't be worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own troubles. Sufficient for today has its, has its own needs. Just focus on today. And I remember a time in mine and Felicia's life where day by day, we got to the end of the day. We were going through a stage of life where we were trusting God in ways we'd never been, we'd never been in that position before. We'd never trusted God in the ways we were having to financially. And day by day, we got to the end of each day and we said, we had what we needed today. Because Jesus in that same passage will say, don't lay up in store for yourselves. Listen, if I were an end time prepper, it wouldn't last but a day because I'd give it all away the moment everything goes south. So I'd be trusting God for a miraculous multiplication of <laughs> two, for your five loaves and two fish every single day. But I've witnessed that in my own life because as, soon, as long as I see people around me in need, there's no way I can hang on to what I have. Because it's evidence of two things. It's evidence that I love myself more than them. And it's also evidence that I don't trust that he can replenish it. So I begin to practice that. We begin to, as I said last week, if you were, uh, I, mean, I think it was last week when I was on stage and I said, you can prove the word of God. You can put it into practice and it will prove itself. Well, I practice what I preach and I wanted to see the manifestation of God's word in my life so that I could say it to you with author, authorization. I could say it to you with with. Uh, uh, a demonstration, actual tell you that I have witnessed this happen. It's not theoretical knowledge for me. I've watched it. And that's not a pious moment. It's a, hey, if I can do it, you can do it. There's nothing special. I don't have any special giftings you don't have. No special callings. God is not a respecter of persons. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a child of God. And what he has, he gives freely to you. When you trust that, you won't have any hold hangups. You won't have any hurdles. You'll be free from yourself and free to do what he's called you to do. Trust it. These things get added to you. Well, guess what? If, you, if they get added to you, you don't have to go seeking after them. He said the birds of the air and the flowers of the field have everything they need, and yet you're a child of God. How much more important are you than they? But if you don't believe that, you won't do that. Right? I mean, it's, it's what I call the axiom of faith. The axiom of faith, just like one and one equals two, the axiom of faith is you will always do what you believe. You push the gas pedal because you expect the engine to accelerate. I mean, it's real, faith is really that simple. You will do the things you believe. The problem is we haven't gotten around to the point where we really believe this in everyday application. And we won't be transforming lives as, until we really do. Your believing the word of God will cause it to manifest and cause other people to be transformed because they see you demonstrating the kingdom of God. And it's something they're not used to seeing. That's in you. Don't worry about your own abilities. Some of us feel like you're disqualified. You're not qualified. You're unqualified. Well, I could never do that. I actually heard somebody say it recently. It was, well, no, and I'm not talking about me starting a life group. I was talking about somebody else. I was like, no, you brought it up. It's on your heart. See, when the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart, what he's basically saying is what we said at the beginning. He's inviting you to take part. Imagine that, that God is inviting you. That must mean he has some faith in you. That must mean that he thinks, he actually thinks that you're trustworthy. 
He don't make mistakes. He don't misjudge. He doesn't have a lack of discernment. (laughs) He doesn't. He sees in you what he created in you, and he wants that to come out of you. So don't worry about your own abilities. I remember one time in the Bible where Jesus told the disciples, he said, you're going to stand before kings and priests, and you're going to give an account for all the things that happened to be a witness unto me. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Don't premeditate what you're going to say. Instead, when you get there, the words will be given to you because it will be the Holy Spirit speaking through you. Now, can you, could you really, can you lay down your life in that moment and follow that example and actually stand up and say, I'm not going to premeditate what I'm going to say. I'm going to be standing before kings and priests, governors, hierarchies, and I'm not going to premeditate what I'm going to say? Uh-uh. You'd, do, you'd be doing yourself an injustice to try to figure it out. Instead, spend that time in worship and watch what happens when you being in tune with the Holy Spirit, he can manifest himself to accomplish his will in you. Don't be dependent upon yourself. In the book of Acts, the disciples, the apostles were preaching. And the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. Most of these men were for Galilee. And no kidding, down in Galilee was kind of like, it was kind of like the country. Where everybody's a blue collar worker. We work really hard. Nobody really expects too much of us. In fact, they might even think that we don't have much education. Because we're in the South, we talk with a country accent. You know, Felicia and I moved to Tennessee. Let's get this, y'all. Side note. I got asked more often than not when I told them I was from Alabama. They'd say, well, you don't sound like you're from Alabama. I was like, I had, I had to not get offended. <laughs> but remember this, offense is always taken. It's never given. Write that down. And I said, what do, what do people from Alabama sound like? We're in, we're in North Tennessee. We're on the borderline of Kentucky. Don't say that to me. <laughs> no offense, Kentucky people. I love y'all. Y'all are awesome. But we were in the Appalachians, man. We were up in the Cumberlands. We talk really interesting up there. <laughs> so for people to say, you don't sound like you're from Alabama, well, it just means you might not know what Alabama sounds like. Roll Tide. Sorry. Um, <laughs> The members of the council were amazed that they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they, were, they could see that they were ordinary men without any special education, without any training. They didn't go to seminary, but they were acting in behalf, on behalf of Christ, and they noticed that they had authority. They were convinced of what they were saying. Why? They noticed, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You see, when you pour yourself out in, in relationship with Jesus... Not on a Sunday morning basis, but on a daily intimate level. What you'll find out is you become transformed. So the first stage of being contagious is that he is contagious. The presence of God is contagious. It is the best form of life that we could possibly even fathom. And when you spend time with him, he transforms you from the inside out. Romans 12, 2 says, as you renew your mind, you're being transformed. As you begin to think like the kingdom, it's actually where the real word repentance comes from. It's, in the Greek, it's metanaio, which actually means to begin to think differently. Yes, it means turn from sin, but it means turn from sin because you start to see the kingdom. So when you start thinking like the kingdom, people's going to say, what is up with Jerry? This guy is different. Not because you're trying to be different, but just something exudes from you. It's called the Holy Spirit. 
He said, you'll be endowed with power. He'll, be, he'll fill you. You'll speak on his behalf. You'll speak on my behalf because he's in you, will be with you, and will work through you. So, going with these scriptures, and it's so hard to narrow these down because the whole Bible just talks about these things. But you can see this in every example throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. But going just with these scriptures, we can summarize in this way. That contagious generosity, if you're going to live a life that is generous in such a way that it's contagious for other people. That it draws them to want to have a relationship with Jesus. That it draws them to want to get close to you. And you'll know it too because every time they come around, they want to talk to you. Get ready to be busy with people because they'll want to be where you are. Well, I've never been an outgoing person. It doesn't matter. Something draws. The love that you have for them draws them. The love you have for your Messiah draws them. The way you think draws them. The way you talk draws them. Get ready to get really popular. And then get ready to let that popularity influence die. Because it will cause you to think you're really important. No, it's just Jesus in you. So contagious generosity starts first with loving God first. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Examine your heart this morning. Does your heart really belong to him? And listen, this, is me, this, is, this isn't me saying this is of you. This is me saying you examine your own self. Judge for your own self. Does my heart really belong to him? Or am I guilty of those Pharisees? Same mindset. That Jesus said, you draw near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Just, just have a sobering moment, guys. Transformation starts right there. We, we, we talked about it in one of our recent messages. Pray dangerous prayers. Father, search my heart. Search me. Create in me a pure heart. Love God first. The Lord, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, and your strength. Does your mind belong to him? See, when your mind changes, as I said, you'll begin to draw people because how you think will be different from the world. It'll be even different from a lot of what we see in church. Do you know the number one thing that draws people? And it, it, it's, it's been on a decline. I'm not sure where we are right now. I'm praying it switches. It is going to switch. But you know the, the decline of people falling away from church, falling out of relationship with God, is because of Christians who don't demonstrate God? Do you know Gandhi? Gandhi himself said, I love your Christ. I just don't like your Christians because they act so little like your Christ. You know what that means to me? That if Christians were being like Christ, Gandhi himself might have received salvation in Christ. That requires to love God first. Put him first in everything. Reckless love. I borrowed this from Corey Asbury. He sings the song, Reckless Love. I love that song. And he says this. I borrowed it from him, but he borrowed it from the Holy Spirit. So I'm not plagiarizing. Plus, it's a paraphrase. Reckless love actually means, it doesn't mean, see, I had a problem with that. I'm glad he explained it one day because I was like, man, that's a great song, but that's not a good description of God. God is not reckless. He is very careful and thoughtful about everything. Yeah, but that's not what it means. It says, without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action, of his own actions, Jesus completely purged himself of his, of his deified position and came down in the form of man and became a servant to man. That's the great paradox of the kingdom of God is when you're willing to lay down your life, you've made room for the kingdom of God to just exude from you. 
And it's not a work that you have to do. It's the work he does in you. But you have to surrender. So become completely reckless in love, not considering your own self. It takes reckless love in order to seek first the kingdom of God. It takes reckless love in order to put people's needs above yourself. And it takes perfect reckless love in order for you to lay down your life for your friend. It means you don't take into account your own well-being. But you're not left out to dry because when you do that, here comes God fulfilling and completely sufficiently giving you everything that you need. It's a wonderful trade-off. You're trading in a clunker for a Cadillac or Cadillacs. I don't even know if they're real popular these days. Whatever the most popular car is, that's what you get. That's the kingdom of God. It's wonderful. See, in the garden, what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve is they were presented with this smoke screen of something they didn't have. They already had the fullness of life. But Satan presented something to them to make them believe they didn't have it. And they began to trade life preservation that God had ordained for self-preservation. And it's been our problem ever since. Now at the cross, we trade self-preservation for life preservation. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come to give you life that you may have it abundantly. Generosity requires you denying yourself. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Denial of self is not a vow of poverty, by the way. It's just a vow not to do things your own way. It's you're making Jesus Lord instead of you being Lord. He's not just Savior. You're actually giving him lordship over your life. Proverbs 3 says that if you acknowledge him in all of your ways and not lean on your own understanding, he will direct your path. What a free life that is when we don't have to. We, we commit. We make decisions. Yes, we, we surrender to his will. But he works out all the details. Do you know, how, you know how much anxiety we deal with in this day and age? Imagine, imagine people free from anxiety just because they learn to live out Proverbs 3. That, they, that we really begin to trust God with our own life. That would be contagious. You would demonstrate something to people that they themselves want. They desire it. So denying self actually puts you in a position of receiving and allowing that to work in you. Trust in God's word above all. Regardless of what you see, regardless of your circumstances, still land back on God's word. You say, well, it looks this way. Yes, but his word says this. I know the way it looks, but I have to stand on this. This is the rock. Therefore, if anyone, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, puts them into practice, he's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Don't let the word passively go through you and you don't think about it again. Apply this to your life. It'll prove itself. You're not responsible for proving it. You're responsible for putting it into proof by putting it into practice. And lastly, this goes along with trust. So you can't be a doer of the word of God unless you trust the word of God. You can't drive your car unless you actually believe that it's actually going to get you somewhere. You can't sit in this seat unless you believe it's going to hold your body. Faith is really that simple. Faith is not complicated. Being a doer of the word actually puts it into practice in such a way that it actually becomes manifestable to you. It becomes something that you can actually witness happen. And when you begin to live that way, people take notice and it transforms their life. It's contagious. 
It says, but don't just be, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. So what happens is you actually hear the word of God and then you keep on going in your own direction. And that creates a conflict in your conscience because you know to do right, but you keep choosing what you trust. And that creates a conflict in you. And I imagine that's why a lot of people have a hard time sticking with it. If you become a doer, you will witness it happen and you'll become contagious. Now, I want to tell you something. When I was in Uganda in 2019, I was there training a group of uh, Christians there. And they were having a hard time evangelizing because in Uganda, it's about 50% uh, Muslim. Actually, it's about 40% Muslim, 40% Christian, and 10% nothing. And even the 40% Christians, a lot of them are wolves in sheep's clothing. As Jesus said, I'm going to send you out among wolves. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. They would charge people just to get prayed for. They would charge people to pray for healing. They would charge people to give them a word of prophecy, and they would not get any of it. People would actually go in debt paying, quote-unquote, men of God and never receive anything from God. And that caused their evangelistic tactics to be insufficient because they were already rejected before they even opened their mouth, and they were asking for help. When Jesus said earlier, we talked about it, Freely you've given, I mean, freely you've been given, so freely give. Freely you've received, so freely give it out. That's what we went there to train them. Stop trying to recruit people into the gospel. Begin to show them the gospel, and it'll be contagious, and you won't have to actually invite them. They'll want it. So this happened with this old man. I said, listen, what you're offering is a recruitment. You're trying to get people on your team, and they're not sure if you're legitimate. They're not sure if you're genuine. But when you show them the kingdom, they will be sure. And they'll want it. So I said, take me out where you know there's the highest popularity of resistant people or sick people. And we're going to pray for some people. We're going to love on them. We're not going to tell them immediately who we're coming on behalf of. We're going to let them, we're going to let them discover that on their own. So there's one man. He's about 63 years old. Everybody in the community knew him. We went to this very busy downtown area in Kampala, Uganda. And they knew that this man, they knew the man, and so they knew he had this disease in his blood or in his body or something. I'm not sure if it was cancer, but he had these boils up and down his left leg and deep into his foot. So it was something that was eating, what I understood was it was eating him, something was deteriorating him from the inside. And I could see the boils on his leg. He had flip-flops on. And I said, all right, hey, what's going on with your leg? And he begins to explain it to me. But I can't understand because he's speaking Ugandan language, so I have an interpreter. The best I could get is that he has some disease and it's eating his inside away. He can't walk well on that foot. And it's getting worse. I said, hey, watch this. And I got them, I got them all down. I'm training people. I said, let's, let's, let's pray in Jesus' name. Jesus heals. And that's the first time he heard Jesus being offered instead of asked. We prayed. The man begins to explain. He said, but I can't, I can't walk very well. I can't do, go up and down stairs. And the steps like this, but they're about twice as long, and they're really steep. They're definitely not code. <laughs> There's no code in Uganda. But they're steps, and he can't go up and down them. And so he stands up, and I said, check your foot. He begins to stomp it. He's looking for it. And he, then he says, well, I can't do steps. I said, yes, you can. Go do steps. Jesus heals. He goes and runs up and down the steps. And if you've ever seen anybody healed, especially if they're an unbeliever, and you see it for the first time, you cannot mistake 
the look on their face, the light bulb goes off and they say, oh my gosh, something has happened in me. Something has changed in me. He comes running back up those steps. And at this point, he's, he's clapping and he's laughing. He's full of joy and he's, he's stomping. He's dancing around. He's like, man, what, what? I can imagine. I couldn't understand him, but he was talking. I imagine he was saying, I don't know what you did. I don't know what you did, but he pointed at me. And I said, no, not me. Yesu. Yesu. That's how they say Jesus. Come on, praise God for it. Now, here's, here's the, the, the kicker. I never said, hey, why don't you come on my team and be saved? I showed him Jesus. And you know what he said? When I said, no, not me, Jesus, he said, I want Jesus. You don't have to recruit what people already desire because your life has been contagious enough to show them God's love. They'll desire it for themselves. That's not the best part. The best part is he becomes contagious because everybody in that community knew him. And he goes around and he starts telling everybody what just happened to him. They all know he has the problem. Death is probably in his near future. But he's able to demonstrate, say, hey, man, look what's happened to my foot. Look what happened to my leg. He immediately goes from being a non-believer, resistant to Christians, to being an evangelist just like that. Talk about contagious. And when people saw it, they began to swarm the group I was training. We had about 20 of us with us, and I didn't even have time to talk to them. They said, what do we do? I said, just start praying for people. Y'all speak the language. I don't. Start praying for people. And they saw people healed and people coming to Jesus. And it reminded me of the book of Acts. Even though it wasn't 3,000, if we would have stayed there longer, it could have been. 3,000 in the book of Acts where, where Peter was preaching and, and, and it drew 3,000 people to the church in one day because they weren't afraid, the boldness that Peter had, they weren't afraid to be a demonstration of the gospel. I heard somebody say one time, the best gospel preached is the one lived. And that's what's in you. Don't you fall, don't you fall under a negative, destructive, live enemy that would tell you you're not enough. You weren't enough, but you are now. And it's not by your own works. It's because he lives in you. Don't you waste what he's given you. We're going to stand before the Father one day, just like in that parable of the talents. He's going to say, what did you do? Freely you were given. What did you do with what I gave you? None of us want to stand there and say, I was afraid, Lord. I was afraid to be rejected. I was afraid to be different. I was afraid I didn't have it all together. No one has it less together than Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus, and yet he was out there doing the same ministry the rest of the disciples were doing. He ended up betraying Jesus, but he was right there along the other apostles. And Jesus knew he was a thief. That's not a good act to follow. That's not an example to follow. But it should give you some comfort that there's really no... Paul said it, man. Paul said, I persecuted Christians. I murdered Christians. I'm least of all. And yet I see the glory of God being manifest in my life. I invite you to become contagious today. Don't you, don't you fall under that lie of the enemy that you're not qualified, that, you, that you've disqualified yourself. When you get baptized, 2 Corinthians 5 says, everything is made new. Old things have passed away and everything's become new. You are now a new creation and have become an ambassador for Christ. 
When I say don't pay attention to how you feel or what the world says about you or what your circumstances is, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It may look one way, but you trust his way. It's not your way, it's Yahweh. This is not Burger King. Starting with what he has said about you, don't you settle for less. Now, I imagine there's a lot of us in here that actually have that stirring desire. It's, even this message is contagious. And you say, man, I, I, I want to be that demonstration. And then there's some of you in here who you've never made that commitment even the first time. And you said, I don't even know what it means for Jesus to be Lord, but I like what you're saying. I'm here today because I was searching for something. I'm not sure what it is, but I want to give my life to it. And you've never accepted Jesus before. So I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. If that's you, if you've never accepted Jesus, I want you to take a moment and just in your own heart. You don't have to, I don't have to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to pray for you. But in just on your heart, all you, got to, all you got to do is say, I trust you, Jesus. Forgive me. And if that's you this morning... Would you raise your hand? Nobody else is looking. It's just me because the pastoral staff and I want to pray with you, pray for you. We have a VIP team that they're nothing. They do, they do nothing but pray for people. They are some praying folks. Would you raise your hand and say, I want Jesus, just like that man in Uganda did? If you're watching online, comment or text my decision to 94,000. Let us know that you've taken that step. But for the rest of you, let me ask you, do you desire, do you desire to have such a demonstration of the love of God that it becomes contagious? Would you lift your hand? Is there anybody in this room who would say, I want to be more contagious than I am right now? Would you lift your hand? This is not a salvation call. This is me saying, I've, I want to go deeper. Would you lift your hand? So in just a moment, we're going to get into worship. Thank you. We're going to get back into worship. And I ask you, I invite you to hit this altar and pour it all out before the Father and say, from this day forward, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself away for your use. James 4, 8 says, draw closer to the Father and he will draw closer to you. So for those who have received salvation today, and for those who desire that deeper, demonstrative walk with Jesus, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word transforms. I thank you that as our mind is renewed, we don't even have to do the work. It just happens to us. It's, it's, it's like washing us inwardly. And we become a new creation. I bless you for that, Father. What a humbling thing it is. The most miraculous thing we could witness is that you could transform our lives despite who we are and who we were. So I pray for those today, Father, who have made that decision, that boldness would rise up in them right now, that they wouldn't waste time if they become a demonstration of your love and lay down their lives for others, to let go of things that are false, to let go of things that paint a picture and has given them a false identity that they turn their life over to you, Father, and become a complete transformation as a child of God. 
and for those who want a deeper walk with you, Father, that they want to be a demonstration, that their lives, their hearts are melting in them right now, desiring to be more than what they've been, to do what you've called us to do and to fulfill that, that, that discipleship role, to fulfill that sonship role, to, to fulfill the ambassador role. Boldness, the same boldness that Peter had by becoming convinced of who you are in us. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name.